Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. It is indeed time for parenting. And once again, Joanna Fortune joins us afternoon. Joanna. Good afternoon. First question is this. My three and a half year old is having quite regular tantrums. The seemingly smallest thing can set him off and he starts screaming or grunting. Sometimes he throws himself on the floor. Sometimes he hurts himself by pulling at body parts or kicking things or he might knock things over. I'm wondering if this is still in normal territory in terms of toddler behaviour it can last anything for a couple of minutes to 20 to 30 minutes on a bad day it's hard to know how to respond as it's often impossible to get through to him in the moment I also have a six year old and a seven month old we try distraction with the three and a half year old but it seems to aggravate him even more sometimes. I will walk away and come back to him at intervals and let him know I'm here when he's ready. It will generally pass, but then once we somehow manage to connect, he comes out of it. We talk to him about it and say we can't understand grunting and can can he use his words to help us. Sometimes we genuinely don't know what has happened. E.g. we could have moved something he didn't want us to move or closed a door he uh, he wanted left open. I mean, the bad news is this is perfectly normal, you know, and I I think I really mean that because I think it would be great for me to go, oh, it's this issue and you can fix that and this won't happen again. But, you know, we talk about the terrible twos as the tantrum time and it creates this false illusion that, oh, when they're three, that'll stop. That's great. That's not how it works. (laughs) So this does sound, while deeply unpleasant for all of you, him included, by the way, it does sound normal. I always think of it in terms of like, you know, like the line here when the parent is saying this seemingly smallest thing can set him off. We have to think about it from the perspective of a three year old and young children have so little control over their world in their lives. You know, they're dependent on adults to do everything for them and they've to do as they're told that being small in a big world can mean that what can seem small to us grown-ups can be anything but small when you're three. You moving that thing, you not closing the door, you mean mm-hmm. you can't read my mind. What are you doing? That can be massive to me and really dysregulating. And when you're saying here, you know, it's hard to know how to respond. Yeah, it is. It's really hard and it's trial and error. But one thing I'm going to say to this parent is your words and your attempt at reasoning with him. That's like shouting into the wind. You know, that's not going to land because when he's in the tantrum, that flipped lid state that we've talked about before, that part of his brain that can be reached by words and reasoning, which is, you know, fragile for a three year old at the best of times. <laughs> yes. um, that's not online. You know, what you've got to do is do it for him. Um, because when you're saying, you know, we can't understand grunting, can you use our words? He can't. You know, he actually can't do that for oh, you. God. So one of the things <clears throat> I would say, you know, when we're trying to beseech our children to be calm, you know, in the history of being dysregulated, the words calm down, do not calm anyone down. But if we want them to be calm, we can't affect it by telling them to do so. So instead, we have to be the calm, not tell the calm, but be the calm that co-regulates them so that we're setting the temperature, which is very easy for me to say and Mm. very hard to do in the moment with a screaming, thrashing child. But we have to stay at least calmer than that tantrum. And that means, yeah, I see that you're you're checking in on him. You're moving away. When you move away, make sure you say to him, I'm just going to step outside now and I'll check on you in a minute so he doesn't feel that you're abandoning or leaving him. But you're coming in, checking in, keep repeating that. And afterwards, when it is calming down and you say you have somehow got this connection, 
that you do the meaning making of the behaviour for him because he's too young. So you're saying, I think what happened there was you you got really frustrated and your frustrated feelings got really loud and really big and you shouted them out and then your body got frustrated and it started kicking and it kicked the floor and it did this. And I wonder, are there different ways that we could show frustration? Maybe we could and you do it, not just say it. Let's try together. We could stamp our feet. We could wiggle our hands. We could shake our bodies. Give him two to three alternatives when he's calm. Yes. Yeah. So that then you might have that to return to. And these are small things because actually this is largely developmentally normal and we don't psychopathologize normal behavior. But there are maybe creative ways that we can say, oh, there's another way to do this. That's what I'd suggest you do with it. Yeah. And it's just waiting it out really and it will pass yeah, and I'm just you know pass. this is yeah. like he has a six year old sibling and a seven month old there's been a lot of change in his little world you know so while he was coming through those so called while they're developmentally appropriate so called terrible twos there was a new baby coming in his world yeah, changed significantly yeah. so it is hard for him to speak it but he is communicating it with his behaviour yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, uh, being the calm, just a bit of breaking news there. The White House, uh, uh, well, it had been speculated on, but they are, uh, uh, the US is deploying more troops to Poland and Germany and uh, Romania and uh, uh, because of the Russia-Ukraine uh, situation, which I have a feeling might kind of rack things up a bit more. Now, uh, have you any advice on how to speak to our five-year-old daughter after an incident where she pulled a boy's pants down while playing in the schoolyard? Before she did this, she asked him to pull it down and when he said no, she did it herself. A few weeks ago, we heard her saying to her brother, look at my bum while pulling up her skirt. We told her she shouldn't do this and explained these are her private parts. I'm afraid to overreact, but really want to manage this correctly. Yeah, I mean... Again, I feel like I'm saying, yeah, I mean, it's challenging, but it is also normal because her Mm. body curiosity is healthy. But yes, you do need to have the boundary chat because otherwise you're getting called up to the school. You've already clearly been notified of what happened in the schoolyard, but you will be called up about this. Again, look, I've mentioned the book here before. Um, Let's talk about Body Boundaries, Consent and Respect by Sarah Jennings. It's a good one. I mean, there's quite a lot in it because it's covering quite a broad range, as you can hear there from Body Boundaries to Consent to Respect. So you don't sit down and read it started finish. You can dip in and out of it, especially when they're younger. Older kids can manage the whole book. But there is another one that is specifically on private parts and bodies specifically for younger children. It's called It's My Body, a book about body privacy for young children. So literally the title has it all Mm. in there. It is for young children and it's by Louise Spilsbury. And I think having a book can be a really nice aid to the conversation because it'll keep you on track. It will give you a language that you can use and that you can keep returning to. When she's pulling up her skirt and saying, looking, look at my bum, you know, I, let's just make sure that it was her actual bum. She was showing uh, use proper names for body parts yeah. because the curiosity is there to see who has one like mine, who has one different to mine. Are we all the same? Are we all different? Let's have a look and see. You know, learning in this experiential way is very healthy curiosity for five-year-olds. It really is. But you can talk about, and and because she might be interested in bodies, they all really are. And I don't just mean in private parts, their bodies in general. You know, um, that website, geniusjuniors.ie has a whole section devoted to books about bodies, different types of books about like literally the mechanics of your body, all about bodies. There's a whole, bodies that are the same, bodies that are different. You could actually add into this and just feed the curiosity within a boundaried way. But Mm. otherwise, you're going to be sitting down with her and using that gentle yet firm voice. No, 
We don't show our private parts to people when we're outside of our private spaces at home and we don't ask them to show us theirs because that isn't respectful. We have to be respectful. If someone says no, that means no, we don't reach out and touch anybody's body. Talking about there's your boundaries, your consent, your respect, all in there. It's not a conversation that you're going to sit down with your five-year-old and nail over a tea time. It's one you're going to have to come back to and grow and extend with her. Um, Don't shame her. Don't scold her gentle yet firm, talking about what is okay, what isn't okay. That she can be curious about her own body, but she has to do so in private and other people's bodies are also private. Mm. I would definitely get the book and talk about it though. And I I, I would get both the private part book and a book about body. She just sounds like a really curious little curious little thing, you know, and that's nice. I would want to nurture that, but just place the boundary time. It's time to have the chat. Yeah, if it was an incident in the schoolyard though, I assume the school probably oh, may I have am, something to say about this I as imagine well. it was definitely flagged by the school um, I, unless she came home and said, guess what I did today? But I bet you it was and this, that's great that the school are noticing and it, that kind of collaborative piece about the school will also support they know everybody's private parts stay in their clothes. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Right, another five-year-old. I have a high-energy five-year-old boy who is way too rough, sometimes out of anger and sometimes because it's a way he likes to play. He's always been like this and would hit, push and shove his cousin as a young toddler. Now he has his own little sister, age two, and she gets the brunt of it. He started school this year and I've just been told his behaviour in the yard in school is too rough and could we have a word with him? We try to give him as much exercise as possible, sensory play, although maybe he needs more of this, and to love bomb him when we notice him struggling with his, with his emotions and behaviour. We're on a waiting list for the last three months to see a play therapist privately. Ha- that's privately. Mm. Haven't even tried the public system, but I'm wondering are there books we can read or other things we could do while we're waiting? I've read your book and tried to put it into practice, but it's upsetting seeing this as I don't want him to lose friends because he can't find ways to manage his energy levels and anger. Yeah, and he won't because at five, you know, he's not self-regulating. He's co-regulating. So he's really, what his behaviour is saying is, actually, I need a little bit more help on knowing where that line is before I crash through it, um, which is what he's doing. And I'm hearing this parent, you know, on the sensory play and look, you know, when you say maybe he needs more of this, if there's even a question, do more of it. There, You know, I, the more the merrier on that one. But I'm also curious as well about his level of physical play, his opportunity for running, jumping, crashing, pushing, rolling, all of that very physical, active play. Because some of what you're describing here, you know, Sometimes it's anger, you know, that's that's quite normal. We see that a lot. But you're mm. also saying it's a way he likes to play. So that's kind of a sensory seeking stimulation. Some people really like that, you know, deep pressure input into their bodies, like colliding with things. Yes, and, yeah. or, you know, that's actually quite regulating for them. So you could play a few activities like that. And you may be already doing this. Um, you know, you could do the kind of push me over, pull me up stuff, you know, so that you sit on the floor opposite each other. Make sure that his back is fully supported. So the only one falling over will be you and put your hands up you know um, to each other so you're touching hands and on your cue and I wouldn't do ready steady go with an impulsive little guy like this I would be doing you know when I say banana and then he has to wait 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 until you say because you might go apple orange banana or you yeah. might do it five fruits and then banana mm. and he pushes you over but you're in control of that fall and he's only using his hands against yours so you can put counter pressure 
in there and then have him be part of the rescue that he pulls you back up. Another way of doing that is you to, and it increases some of that sensory piece for you within this type of play is to take some hand lotion and cover your hands in it so you're super slippy. Put a bit on his hands so he's slippy too. Hold hands and you'll get that tactile sensory transfer of lotion hand to hand. You're getting the squeezing each other's hands. You're getting that tight pressure mm. skin to skin touch and then pull away from each other. So you're getting that proprioceptive input in the arms as well, right up to the shoulder socket. Pull, pull, pull. And then you're going to dramatically fall back like super dramatic. Going, Whoa, I fell back. So you're going to try, hold, try, hold. And of course, you'll slip away. He can pull you up. If you get make your hands decent slippy, you'll get about three rounds out of that. So that's a nice one to go again, go again, cue him one last time and do that so he knows the end is coming because he might be prone to getting overstimulated with mm. that. Tug of war is a good one as well. And with a, a little guy like this, I'd sit in the same arrangement so that when you're doing the tug of war on the floor, you're pulling him into you for an embrace and he gets a tight, squeezy cuddle as part of it. So the tug of war is about connection rather than kind of pulling each other over. Yeah. Um, something like cotton ball, snowball fight. Everybody takes a bundle of cotton balls and on your cue pelts them at each other. So that way I get to feel like I'm throwing things around, <laughs> but I'm not going to hurt anyone. I'm not going to hurt anybody, myself or the space. But I get that physical release. This is the kind of physical releasing play he might benefit from. Toilet paper bust out is another one I like where they stand still like a statue and you wrap them, bind them. Sounds a bit weird, but wrap them with toilet paper and on your cue, they can bust out and explode right. out of it. That sounds but like great fun. They have to do wait, 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 release. So it's on your cue. So it's good for impulse control play, stop, star, take your cue from the adult in charge and slowing down while giving them that physical release. So while you're waiting on the play therapy piece to come up, I would do a lot of that kind of physical, robust play, meet sensory play. Keep doing that. And the stuff you're doing otherwise seems like it's, you know, you're you're responding to him, you're talking to him, but you're talking about too rough, gentle touch. I'd show him different kinds of touch. You know, if you touch something with just your finger, oh, it doesn't move with your hand, with your fist, with your whole body, showing him different ways of doing touch and push that it isn't all, you know, full body crashing mm. through people, but showing him different ways of doing it. You could blow up a balloon, for example, and say we're going to keep it in the air, but we can only use our pinky fingers. That's a very different form of touch than we're going to keep it up with our fists. Mm. Yes. Indeed. So there's lots of ways of playing with it. I'm really sorry about the waiting list as well, because that is like that's a private um, service and the wait lists are chronic universally at the moment. So this is really a stopgap. What I'm suggesting isn't instead of play therapy, but while you're waiting for it. I think that would be really useful. Yeah. Uh, Brian is texting in to say, just tell him to behave. Uh, which is uh, that's a useful one Brian thank you for, for that because that's the way they used to do things in this country and didn't we all grow up to be healthy balanced individuals uh, the, uh, the three year old who's having the tantrums uh, one texter says uh, sounds like my 13 year old uh, still trying to figure that one out uh, yes. there's a lot of truth in that the <laughs> yeah. terrible twos and you know difficult threes quickly become the even more I, difficult thirteens. the door slamming born, has an edge yeah. then yeah. <laughs> uh, my son is 15 he was diagnosed with a learning difficulty but he overcame that. Recently he can't remember what he's eaten or what he did yesterday and he's easily forgetting things like names. Should I be worried? 
Now, there's enough here to worry me and there's not enough for me to kind yeah. of really go on this. I'm going to pick out a couple of bits, Sean, on this. Um, when you say he was diagnosed with a learning difficulty, but he overcame it, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just going to come at that with curiosity. What does that mean? Do you mean he managed it? Because it didn't just go away, mm. that it was a temporary learning difficulty, but now it's gone. I'm not understanding yeah. that. So I would have that. I'm coming at your question with a question. What does that mean? And I would always say to you, you know, any sudden, unexplained, significant changes to behaviour should be explored with curiosity. And I always like to rule out the physical before we decide mm. it's psychosocial or emotional. I would say book a consult with your GP who can assess him, assess the situation. And if he needs a referral to a neurologist or any other specialist, the GP can make that call with you guys um, instead of you sitting there worrying. And, you know, just to kind of offer the other side of that, sometimes when any of us are really busy, agitated, overwhelmed in general or stressed out, we can experience an increase in clumsiness, forgetfulness. It's what Freud called the psychopathologies of everyday life. Forgetfulness, bungled actions yeah. in general. And it tends to be mild uh, for some of us, it might be more moderate than mild, but in that realm, it tends to be transient and it's context specific. It isn't pervasive in your life, but this is recently. I don't know what that's quite a subjective. How recent are we talking yeah, days yeah. or weeks? If it's something that's escalating and lingering, I would just want that scene. You know, I think there's no harm in bringing him to a yeah. GP. Yeah, and I suppose also. Given the age he is, is he getting a decent night's sleep? Oh, there's all of that lifestyle stuff yeah. in there as well. So if the GP assesses and goes, no, this is something else that's going on. He needs to come off a gaming device and not be playing till 4am. Then you can put those pieces in place. But let's be certain. Yeah. Mark says, uh, your listener's story about their five-year-old is familiar. My six-year-old is the same. We've turned our garden into a gym yeah. with a trampoline, punch bag, swings and do rugby, hurling and football three to five days a week and swimming two days a week. We are just about getting there. He's now kind with other small kids, but beats me up, says his dad, Mark. <laughs> Mark's well taken, done, Mark. Mark's that taken, like an amazing garden. <laughs> Mark's taken it for the team there. Uh, right, we do have to uh, take a break. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on Newstalk. Uh, after that, how do I get my teenagers to stop saying like? Moncrief on Newstalk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on Newstalk. Joanna Fortune is still with us. Uh, as ever, if you have a question for Joanna, you can send it into afternoon at newstalk.com. Now, the next question is this. My 11 and 13 year olds use the word like in conversation and it drives me nuts. I pull them every time they do and I'm on the verge of using the swear jar in our house as punishment. Just to clarify what I'm talking about, the following sentence is an extreme example. So like the teacher today like told us we all have to like take part in uniform inspection tomorrow. The word has insipidly filtrated our everyday social interactions on a subconscious level. But it fills me with the same effect as nails on a chalkboard. I'm aware it has placed mm as a filler word and I can only link it back to the Kardashians as to its origin in the English language. Okay, uh, uh, this person is really agitated. Maybe they need 
the help. <laughs> and I, that's don't give that all to the Kardashians. Yeah. That's very much um, a cultural piece. I always think of culture as something that's always evolving and developing, but it's a great playfulness with culture. Culture is how we do things, mm. how we dress, how we speak, how we move, how how we do things. Language is a part of that. And there's a playfulness with language that often gets overlooked. It has a sensual nature. It's how we begin to understand the feel of words and sounds and phoneme and meaning. So there's a whole lot going on with it. But in this context, the use of overuse of the word like is a filler word. You know, it's a, it's a filler word in this, even that sentence as an example. The like is there where naturally there might be a pause. Yeah. You know, so it's in the place of that. Um, it can be very strange to listen to because it can make the speaker sound uncertain, like they're in a constant state of doubt, mm. questioning their own thinking all the time. And a lot of the time they'll uptick with it as well. Exactly. Which, uh, it's the yeah. it's the prosody of it as well. And the speech pattern, then the sentence sounds just so cluttered that you're, what is it you're saying? <laughs> so the frustration I totally get, but the most effective way to change it is not to nag or consequence it um, because you won't change it without them consciously being aware of it and wanting to change it. They're mirroring whatever cultural exposure they have. It could be, you know, going back to somebody else talking um, about what's online and things like that, like whoever is influencing them, be it Kardashians or be it gamers or YouTubers or TV shows or whatever it is. That's where it's coming from. But also it's from their peer group and they're at an age where what their peer group does and says is going to matter more than what you are telling them to do and say. Mm. Their greatest influence is outside of you at the moment. Yes, you still have a role, of course, <laughs> to be relevant, but they're not going, oh, because you said so, therefore I'll do it. They're saying, what do you do? Everyone talks like this. Yeah. And you're going to get those generalizations. If they were aware of it and they were saying, OK, I want to change this, but I can't. I can't help myself. There's a couple of things that you could try and I'm going to try and be playful. First of all, if it was anyone listening going, I do that and I'd like to stop it, pause every time you say it. When you hear yourself using the word in, in, instead of the context like should be used, just pause for even half a second, a second, because you're catching yourself in the moment. You could also ask others um, to cue you, don't nag, but cue you maybe with a nonverbal cue or a wink or a rub your nose, you're doing it again, you're doing it again, you're, so that I can self-correct it. But I think one of the most effective ways is to play a game um, whereby each of you is going to be given, a, it should be a familiar topic, something you can talk about generally with fluency and speak about it, set a timer to see who can speak the longest without saying like inappropriately, sorry, <laughs> yes. saying like, I mean. And then what you could do to make that even more interesting is, and more of a learning tool, is record each other doing it. And then you hear how it sounds. Because when you're speaking yourself, you may not even notice you're doing Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And yeah. they're probably not noticing they're doing it. But if they hear, and don't do that in a shaming way. Do you hear how awful you sound? Don't do it like that. Try to keep it a playful thing. Let's see who can go the longest. Oh, that was 10 seconds. OK, let's see. Can we get to 15 seconds and build it that way? It's definitely going to be easier if they agree with you that, yes, I do that too much. I'd like to change it. Otherwise, you're... Yeah. Just going to have to coach yourself in some tolerance Teflon and let some of that slide off. They're not going to agree. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like probably every single one of their friends speak like that anyway. And everyone it's, they're listening and, and to. Everyone, yeah. yeah. It's not even Kardashians. It's it's any influencer anywhere. Is, like is it could easily off. have been an oh my God drawl. There's yeah. always a something with language. And that's why I think culturally it's it's something that evolves and it's something we are allowed to explore and play with. Yeah. Also as well, it's a bit of a 
Irish thing that we use the word like. There's various, various parts of the country people have always used like a lot. And we have quite a fast um, paced speech pattern in Ireland as well. Generally, there'll always be exceptions. Generally, we speak quite quickly. And when we do that, we use fillers in the place of pause because yeah. it keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. So absolutely. Yeah. My friend, age 69, uh, says uh, like after every word, it's really annoying. So there you go. Kathy says, I can't stand the use of the word peace for aspect, e.g. the culture piece, as your guest just said. Sorry, Kathy. Sorry, yes, everyone's started like swear jar. Well, that's the that's the, the, the fallback position, it seems. Anyway, here's the next question. I'd like advice on encouraging critical thinking in my kids when it comes to conspiracy theories, non-science and anti-vaccine. I have two boys, 10 and 11, and they are great. They do very well in school and socially they are very happy. They are not on social media and I monitor their online gaming or join in. We have an open dialogue uh, about everything. Lately, I have noticed that the rhetoric that's being directed towards them is very QAnon-y, for want of a better word. YouTubers will randomly mention something so off-centre that it throws me. I vet each YouTuber they like for cursing and content. Currently, when I hear a mention of buzzwords like China, COVID and vaccination, I pause the shows and we talk about what they have heard briefly, where I explain the difference between fact and opinion. But I'm noticing I'm not having to, uh, to do that an increasing amount. There has been a huge upturn in this anti-vax, anti-China, the government is spying on me by crypto rhetoric across the board. My 11-year-old was listening to a podcast last night by gaming YouTubers and they were talking about how streaming companies want your credit card details. How do I encourage critical thinking and should I be considering censorship? He's in a fifth class and sprinting towards teenagerhood. My 10-year-old couldn't care less and enjoys contradicting his brother every chance he gets. Oh my God, there's a lot in there. We'll have to shut down our Twitter accounts for the next 48 hours. I know, I know. So yeah, I want to answer the question that has been asked. And I think first of all, just to say you're doing a lot really well and trust yourself. The fact that you're saying, you know, you have an open dialogue about everything. You're checking, you know, who they're following, what's going on, the language, all of that stuff. They're not on social media. They're happy. They're healthy. They're doing well at school. There's a lot of good here just to frame that because that's going to be where you keep coming back to. Um, In terms of the question, how do you encourage critical thinking um, and should you consider censorship? I mean, censorship just doesn't work, you know, because Mm. um, you're not learning from it. You know, there's no kind of shared learning. And I've heard it's interesting. I've heard similar to this from teachers who've observed it in class, too. And look, at we could look at lots of reasons and influences. There's been increased screen time, time alone, time online during the pandemic, plus the pandemic itself, you know, fueling some miss or diss or information. But as well as that, differing opinions and differing opinions are allowed. Yeah. Okay. just to emphasize that differing views are okay, but it can get amplified in the context we've been in. So I would always pay attention that if they're hearing things and they're bringing it to you, super. That's Mm. great because they're hearing something. It's not quite making sense. They're bringing it to you and together you're having this open conversation about it. Super. Keep that up. If you if anyone else is listening and thinking, okay, something like this, but more if, if anyone is talking as if it's from a script, That means they've learned something and they haven't quite integrated it or understood it. That's why they're parroting or repeating Mm. it in a verbatim way. If anyone is really kind of, that's the only possibility, I'm not open to any conversation or there's any heightened anger. I would always uh, 
approach anything like this with inviting open discussion and listen. And a discussion requires that you listen more than you talk as well. Be curious, wonder about, oh, OK, that's interesting. I never thought of it like that. Where does your ideas on this come from? What's informed your view? Offer alternative views. Might it be? Could it be? I wonder if just kind of creating that openness. And look, your kids are young, like these are what, eight and 10 or 10 and 11, 11 years yeah. old. So you can certainly, you know, don't go down censorship, but you can further limit online time and again, intensify your reviews like you're scanning the YouTubers for cursing and content. Well, maybe this is information about some of them are using new content that actually you haven't addressed with your kids yourself. You want to get in there first. So maybe look at that and, you know, play, have them play openly rather than on headphones, because that way you're hearing things in the moment as well. Mm. But I do think you're doing doing a lot really well when it comes to the critical. How do you encourage critical thinking? Like critical thinking skills start to be developed for children around four years old in the second stage of developmental play when they have the little toys interacting and talking with each other. We get somebody says something in the play, another character responds, there's a counter. You get that serve and return and multiple perspective taking and they have to work out a scenario to a conclusion. That's really how they're beginning to develop those skills in play. So you're going to teach them the reality test when you want to now grow up that critical thinking. So when when they say something, you go, oh, interesting. Where's the evidence for this? Now, look, it, it doesn't have to be about this stuff online. Let's kind of make it more general. It could be you never listen to me. My teacher hates me. This always happens. It could be some general statement and you, and you take it and say, OK, your teacher hates you. Did they say that? Like, what? where are you drawing this from? What's your evidence for it? I wonder, could there be another explanation for what your teacher did? My, if I heard her say that, I might think she meant and offering the alternative. Mm. So you're doing it like this is useful in all kinds of areas, not just these ones that we're talking about today. And you want to then keep, as you're doing, talk about the difference between what you feel and what you think, what you believe versus truth, because you and I can sit here and hold opposing beliefs on the same thing, but I can tolerate that your opposing belief can coexist with mine. Yes. But if my belief becomes my truth, then there is no other way and you're simply wrong. Mm. And mm. I'm immovable in that. So we want to keep it in the realm of this is what you're believing. Might there be another belief? I believe differently. Different beliefs can coexist. That's all about critical thinking. And just keep that door of communication open to talk about everything. Yeah. God, they're, they're listening to very kind of grown up stuff for 10 year olds and 11 year olds. Yeah. Though. And, you know, because it's broader than the YouTube gaming stuff. It's a podcast where somebody and again, bear in mind the YouTubers that your young children are listening to are grown adults. Mm. You know, they're not 10 and 11 years old. Yeah. They might be in their 20s and have their own social or political beliefs. And, you know, your children are following adult content in that regard. So you do need to, in terms of a critical analysis, mm. that's on us as well. We have to keep a critical eye on all of that. Yeah. But streaming companies do want your credit card details. I don't think that's not a conspiracy. <laughs> that's not a, That's an actual fact. Uh, uh, going back to uh, the teenagers using the word like. Now, I remember driving my dad crazy using like too often. Teachers also tried banning us from its so-called overuse. That was 30 years ago. Choose your battles with teenagers and this shouldn't be one of them. All it resulted was in me avoiding talking to my dad at the time because it was so stupid and controlling. My peers and I all grew up and now speak 
normally in inverted commas whatever, whatever that, that is, is. Yeah. <laughs> Joanna thanks a million as Thank ever you. Uh, Joanna Fortune there you are listening to the Moncrief show on News Talk we want to take a break after that the early Kennedys Moncrief on News Talk brought to you by Avant Money think you're getting the best value from your bank think again